The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. I mentioned that before. It's a quote from the famous American author Mark Twain. It's also one of the opening lines of the latest rendition of Roots, that book originally written by Alex Haley, but now being produced in another movie on the History Channel. It's about the story of Kunte Kinte, who was born about four days up the river in central Gambia and was sold as a slave and brought to America. The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. I've been thinking a lot about that lately, especially with recent events in our country. The presidential election and the cultural change that seems to be going on have made me think about this. What is our life about? What are we supposed to be doing? We have a new president as of Friday, and some of us wait with great anticipation, and a whole lot of us wait with great anxiety and worry, concern. There are questions about almost every area of life, health care, immigration, race relations, foreign relations, education, the environment, what's going to happen? What's our life meant to be about? And what does faith and discipleship look like for us in these days? To keep me going and to find some encouragement, I've been turning to one of my favorite authors. It's Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. I've talked about him before. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs has a new book out. It's called not in God's name. It's a book about the growing problem of religious violence. Sachs's insights are always rich and full of faithfulness. His insights often inspire me. He's such a person of faith and deep wisdom. And Sachs reminds us in the very early pages of this book that every human being, regardless of class or culture, or creed, or color is made in the image of God. We heard that from Ginger already. The supreme power of the universe intervenes in history on behalf of the supremely powerless. A society is judged by the way it treats the weakest and the most vulnerable. Life is sacred, very sacred. And between all people, there should be a bond of righteousness and love. We should always be working together on what's right and what's loving. So what's life about? Jonathan Sachs confirms we're to live by faith, and we are to be a blessing regardless of everyone's faith. Regardless. And Sachs says, when we do anything less, God weeps. Soren Kierkegaard is a Danish philosopher from a previous century, and I've talked about him before too. He argued that the most dangerous sin in our lives 
is not something we do or don't do. The most dangerous sin in our lives is not some act like stealing or murder, and it's not some significant omission or negligence like the prayer of confession sometimes reminds us what we didn't do. The most dangerous sin in our lives, according to Kierkegaard, is our tendency to forget. We forget who, whose we are. We belong to God. We forget the source of our lives. It's God. We forget how our lives are to be shaped. Loving God and loving others. Now listen to our second lesson from today. For today comes from the book of Deuteronomy and reading from chapter 26. This very day the Lord your God is commanding you to observe these statutes and ordinances. So observe them diligently with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have obtained the Lord's agreement to be your God. And for you to walk in his ways, to keep God's statutes, God's commandments, and God's ordinances, to obey God. Today the Lord has obtained your agreement to be God's treasured people, as he promised you, and to keep his commandments for him to set you high above all nations that he has made in praise and in fame and in honor, and for you to be a people holy to the Lord your God as he has promised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's something about what life is about. I want to take a moment and remind us the context of these verses. Deuteronomy, the book, the fifth book of the Bible, gets its name from the Greek words that mean second law. Deuteronomy considered the second book of the law, wants to reiterate and clarify what Moses received on the mountaintop with God, which is mostly revealed in Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible and maybe the first book of the law. Deuteronomy has many chapters and many laws and many ways that God's people are instructed to live. Knowing that it's so tempting to forget, Deuteronomy says over and over, do not forget. And therefore, This is how you worship, and therefore this is how you treat one another, and therefore this is how you treat the aliens among you, and this is what you do with your crops, and this is how you live, and it's over and over, page after page, like that. And then we get to chapter 26, and it begins with instruction that when the people get to the promised land that God has been talking about and been promised for uh, centuries, when they get there... This is what they are to do. They are to bring their first fruit and give it to God. Their first of their resources and present it to God. And when they do that, then they are to recite their wonderful history. So Deuteronomy 26 becomes kind of a favorite because it has this litany in it. A wandering Aramean was my father. And he went down to Egypt. And though they were small in numbers, they grew. And though they were aliens... They became slaves, and they cried to the Lord, and the Lord heard their cry, and the Lord saved them, and the Lord brought them to this land of milk and honey. See, it's a very powerful point, trying to keep us from forgetting. We should never forget who we are. We have a history with God. 
God has been with us, loving us, saving us, guiding us, helping us. And that means we always have a hope, no matter what's going on in life. So this is what you do. You keep reciting the story. That's the point of the litany. That's the point of remembering, so that you never forget. And then we get to verse 16, which I read to you. Today you have obtained the Lord's agreement to walk in God's ways and to live as God's people. And today, the Lord has obtained your agreement to be His treasured people. This is the phrase that I love so much. God's treasured people. That's the promise, once again. That's the covenant. We seek to live as God's people, and God makes us treasured people. And then there's something very fascinating about this phrase, God's treasured people. The Hebrew word is segula, which is found only eight times in the Hebrew Bible. It's a noun, it's feminine, and its meaning is basically possession or property, God's treasured possession. There are other references, especially in Deuteronomy, and they all refer to cherished or prized or precious, the precious, prized, cherished, people of God. So the word connotes affection, not just belonging. It connotes devotion and preciousness. We don't just belong to God. We're God's cherished, adored, prized people. It's a term of endearment. But guess what? When the King James translates this word, the translation always uses the English word peculiar, which is the title in the, in the bulletin of this sermon. We are God's peculiar people. Isn't that fantastic? You always knew you were peculiar, right? Well, in some ways, peculiar may convey the sense of weird or odd, but what an idea. The King James is trying to get something across to us that might be particularly important in this day and time. There intends to be, there needs to be a wonderful distinctiveness about God's people. There intend to be unusual characteristics to the people of God. We are different from the world. Or at least we're called to be different and distinct. That's very helpful to me. As God's peculiar people, we know what life's about. Look, every human being, regardless of color or class or creed or culture, is made in the image of God. That's part of what it means to be God's people. God cares about all people and intervenes in history to bring light and life and joy and justice especially to the weakest and the most vulnerable. It matters what we do with life, especially those who need it the most. It matters uh, that life is sacred, cherished. So that means how we treat one another. We're to live by faith, and we're to be a blessing to others regardless of their faith, right? God's peculiar people. It's a wonderful image. This is especially helpful to me as we seek to navigate these complicated times. There's plenty of reason to wonder if we're going backwards in terms of health care. 
especially for the most vulnerable and the most weak. There's plenty of questions among the African-American community and the immigrant community and the gay community if we're going backwards on the progress that we've made. There's plenty of concern about foreign relations and Russian relations and the EU and NATO. And that's particularly important when we have terrorism on the rise and religious alienation on the rise. The list goes on. It can make our heads spin. It can make our hearts break. Our anxiety goes up. But we hear the news. We're God's peculiar people. Our lives are grounded not on what's happening all around us, but in God's promises and in God's call to live in the world. We ground our lives, we root our lives in the truth that we are adored, we're cherished, we're prized, we're precious in God's sight to the God of the universe, no less. This becomes our identity and it shapes what we do with our lives. Our primary identity is God's peculiar people and we're to live a certain way with a hope and with a focus and with a devotion that lines up with God. Mary Oliver is a favorite poet of mine more and more. She has a poem in her latest book of poetry and the poem is called Moments. Moments. There are moments that cry out to be fulfilled. Like telling someone you love them or giving your money away, all of it. Your heart is beating, isn't it? You're not in chains, are you? There's nothing more pathetic than caution when headlong might save a life, even possibly your own. When headlong might save a life, even our own. What if we went headlong into living as God's peculiar people? That's what life's about. As God's peculiar people, we know how to frame our lives. We're related to God and we seek to love God and love others. You can't read Deuteronomy, especially the chapters that come after the one we read today without knowing how important it is how you live what you do, who you love, how you carry on as God's peculiar people, worship, faithful life, loving, serving, being a blessing. That's the way. And then the following pages of Scripture, all the rest of the pages of Scripture keep echoing this. Isaiah the prophet says, you are precious in God's sight, never to be forgotten. So live and serve God and God's people. Micah says, what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. Amos reminds us, hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. Jesus comes on the scene preaching the kingdom of God, release of captives, good news to the poor, and everything he does is about healing and helping and loving and forgiving and bringing about the kingdom of God. It's the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And his final sermon is maybe his most memorable. What you do to the least, you do to me. I was hungry, you fed me. I was in prison, you visited me. I was sick, and you cared for me. This is how we live. 
The apostles only pick it up. Paul says, let love be genuine. Hate evil. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live by the Spirit. And Peter, we read it in our first lesson. Once you were no people, now you're God's people. And he even echoes it in the King James translation. You're God's peculiar people. Once you were in darkness, now you're in the light. And then it intends to affect how we live. And here we are, a church in the center of this city. We have work to do. We have light to share. We have love to spread so that we can move the whole city and our lives closer to the inbreaking of God's kingdom. As an urban congregation, we, we know that life is complicated and we have lots of challenges, but we are the peculiar people of God. We're seeking to build community. We're promoting generosity. We're encouraging one another. We're spreading kindness. We're trying to strive for justice. We're working with God and the inbreaking of God's reign in Richmond and across the world. That's what we're called to be about. And then as individuals, wherever we find each of our particular lives, where you go this week, who you encounter this week, what's your calling is to bring hope, is to spread light, it's to be an agent of God's inbreaking reign. We're the peculiar people of God. We know that everyone was created in the image of God, regardless of color or culture or creed. We know that life is precious. We know that the supreme God of the universe intervened in the world, and it especially matters to the weak and the most vulnerable. We know that our lives are to be about loving and serving God and loving God's people, and we have to take a step back from partisanship and take a step toward discipleship. And we have to build community, and we have to spread compassion, and we have to deepen our commitments to God's work in the world. It's good to be peculiar, folks. It's our calling. It's our calling. Here's another insight that helps me very much. It also comes from Jonathan Sachs. The word tragedy is not in the Bible. might be tempting to think that these are tragic times. we got a lot going on. It can be very worrisome and despairing. Tragic, even. But tragedy is not in the Bible. The word was never coined by the Hebrews. It's not in the Greek New Testament. We understand tragedy to be a lamentable state of affairs. Uh, we understand tragedy to be a disaster uh, a calamity, a drama with an unhappy ending, but neither that word nor that concept are in the whole scriptures. This is not to say there are no disasters in the Bible. This is to say that there's not any uh, lament in the Bible. There's not a crisis. Absolutely there are. You know what? Jewish history was written in tears. The Old Testament has many unhappy endings. Genesis ends with the people as slaves in Egypt. Deuteronomy ends with Moses standing at the promised land, and he can't go into the land. There are many unhappy endings. There are many stories of exile and desperation and wonder and anxiety. The Psalms are full of lament. 
And there's much suffering and pain in the New Testament, death and persecution and dispersion and uncertainty. But the word, the word tragedy is not in the Bible. It's not there. And you know why? It's about God. That's why. It's a story about God. The story and our story is always about God. We are God's peculiar people. We're cherished. We're loved. We're adorned. We're held forever. And we're called to live a certain way with hope, with love, with compassion, with kindness, with justice, with light. That's our calling. Look, what if we went headlong into living as God's peculiar people? There are moments... As Mary Oliver says, they're calling to be fulfilled. What if we live, went headlong into living as God's peculiar people, knowing we're cherished and we live a certain way with hope and joy and justice and light because we're all about God and God's inbreaking in the world. May it be so. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, as your peculiar people, we seek to be a blessing always toward the reign of Christ our Lord. Amen.